Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Do you want your um, your walk-up song to play now? Right now, okay. Guys, can we welcome Jason as he comes to spring? Thank you so much, buddy. Appreciate it so much. That is funny. That is funny. Well, it's good to be with you. It's really good to be with you. I'm here with my buddy Nick. We flew in yesterday, and um, I don't know if you guys are just used to this, but the colors we saw on the sky as we were driving into Kitchener-Waterloo area, we're just like, where are we? This is, this is beautiful. I've never been to this place before, and I love it. And so we've just been treated real well by the beauty in the sky and then the hospitality this morning. And it's true, um, Brandon and Emma are, are people I consider friends. Um, and it's a great honor to be with you guys and to see all of you because the way they talk about you. Every single time I talk to Brandon, I want to, like, pick his brain or learn something from him or talk to Emma and learn about what they're doing. They're always pointing different people on the team. If you serve or volunteer here, I've probably heard your name before because they're always talking about their team. And the way they speak about the church is with the affection that um, healthy pastors have for the people they lead, a longing for them to be whole and healthy and a real care for them. And so I've just experienced that. And so it's special to see you this morning. Uh, As he said, uh, my friends and I, we did all move to Vancouver. I'm married. I've got three kids. So about two and a half years ago, about five families, we all moved to the city of Vancouver, all scattered around the the suburban sprawl of Vancouver. We moved to the city to plant a church. And uh, we're doing the things that you do leading up to a church. We're starting small groups. We started Alpha. We're inviting people who didn't know Jesus to wrestle with Jesus. We're meeting together. And then the restrictions in March 2019 hit, and it was all shut down. And I won't say who, but somebody on my team said, I did not move to Vancouver to plant a church on the internet. (laughs) We had a couple of those moments like, are we going to throw in the towel? But then we found ourselves very quickly experiencing this, like, and I get what you said, it's awful to plant in the pandemic, but I just, my experience has been an absolute delight and wonder. I just feel more than ever like, of course, because we, you, we, I had this in my heart for years. What if we planted in Vancouver in 2020? I was saying that for 10 years. I had no idea what 2020 would hold, but I do believe the Lord did. I believe that God did know, and that even though I was just riffing with this like date in the future that sounded kind of round, like 2020, I just throw it out in the future, like 2020 in Vancouver, that's a nice place. The Lord knew, and he was doing something in my heart, and I just felt like, man, this was the year we were meant to plant, because there's so much need. There's so much hurt. There's so much brokenness and longing, and what, a, what an honor to participate in creating welcome and belonging And to invite people to know an enduring hope that can be only found in Jesus. I want to talk this morning about perseverance. I want to talk this morning about perseverance. I want to answer two questions. The first question is, what is the role and experience of perseverance in the Christian life? Where does perseverance fit into the Christian life? That's the first question. And the second question is, what is unique about Christian perseverance? Because let me just say this off the top. The human body and mind and spirit is so incredibly capable of perseverance. It's stunning. 
If I didn't have world history to back me up, I wouldn't have such hope that even these children that are being moved to refugee camps as we speak, they have a hope for the future. The human body and spirit and mind, incredibly capable of perseverance. And so please, at no point in time, and I implying that those who might not know or walk with Jesus as God don't have some deep strength to persevere. From a Christian worldview, I'd be like, man, God made them in such a way that we're wired so wonderfully that it gives me awe and wonder towards God as creator. But there's a unique thing that for those who walk in Christ, there's new resources for perseverance. And there's a different experience of perseverance. And what I really want you to hear is that in Jesus, there are resources from heaven for persevering on earth. What is unique about Christian perseverance? And the primary text we'll anchor ourselves in, where we'll kind of camp out and walk away, hopefully understanding how this text works together a little bit better, is in Hebrews chapter 12. I won't give a very long introduction to Hebrews, but the thing that you need to know the most is it's a first century, first century correspondence. It's a letter. We get, this is amazing, when we open the New Testament, we have access to letters that were written amongst the first Christians in the first years of the church. And it's hard to imagine, but I want to invite you to try to do it. Jesus has come on the scene through his life, death, and resurrection. He has totally flipped people's lives upside down. And young Christians, new Christians, people had not been following God before, with no examples of Christian forefathers, are trying to figure out, how do we make sense of this? And all of a sudden, these letters start being sent around by apostles and leaders in the church. And we have this correspondence called Hebrews. And listen to the language of Hebrews chapter 12. It says this. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me give a quick definition of perseverance. Perseverance is not giving up even in the face of setbacks and difficulties. Perseverance is if you're, if you're moving in a direction and all of a sudden something trips you up. You're fatigued. You're tired. Perseverance is continuing on anyways. That's perseverance. Perseverance is keeping on going. It's carrying on. It's not being deterred by distraction. It's staying the course in the midst of distractions, setbacks, and deterrence. And any vision... Oh, And here's what's important about perseverance. This is a very simple side note. It's implied, but it's worth noting. Perseverance starts when everything inside of you wants to quit. You know that, right? Like, you know, like, if there's some people here who are married. I've been married for many years. Even marriage requires perseverance. When you're dating for the first three weeks, and it's just like sparks everywhere, and it's just like electric, like I can't not be near you, that's not persevering in love. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, or like when you're jogging, like we have this beautiful, me and Nick, we come from Vancouver, there's this seawall that wraps around the water, and when it's sunny out in the summer, and you like put your headphones in, and the beat drops in just the right moment, and you're in the first few kilometers, like that's not perseverance. Perseverance is when you get out there, and it's freezing cold like it is right now, but your gloves are a little bit damp, so it's somehow even more cold, and you put your headphones in, but your AirPods are dead, and you're like, what is even going on? And that's perseverance. So you see what I mean? Like, perseverance starts when everything inside of you wants to quit. I remember there's this, this run, I think you guys do it here as well, called the Terry Fox run. 
And I actually went to Terry Fox Secondary School in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. That was Terry Fox's like home school. So he was our namesake, so we took it seriously. I remember grade 12 deciding, I want to do the Sunday morning 10K Terry Fox run. So my friends and I lined up. Uh, we put on headbands. It was, we were stupid then. And um, we were on the front page of the newspaper. My mom was delighted to <laughs> keep that. And uh, I remember we got to the end of the first street, like about three quarters of a kilometer down, and everyone's cheering. And we took a left, and I just was like, I don't know how to run. I haven't run more than 500 meters in years. And I had this, this thing I'd never experienced before, a deep pain right here. I think some people call it a cramp. And it just sounds like, put your hand up. I'm like, it's not working. It's not working. It's not taking it away. And right on like 1.5 kilometers into the 10-kilometer run, our friend Andrew's house was right there. And so we just had this moment of like, we could just go into his house. So we're just running on the, and then just like sharp left into <laughs> into his house, and no exaggeration, we ate some food and then just walked out the back door to the finish line. Not perseverance. Are you tracking with me? Not perseverance. Fast forward about 10 years later, I'm at the exact same start line, exact same race on a Sunday morning, Terry Fox run. I am not trained. I'm in no better shape. But this time, it's way different because I'm running with my brother Kevin, who's in the middle of his fight with cancer. And Kevin's with us today. He miraculously has been able to survive a six-month diagnosis. That was five years ago in brain cancer. And they give everyone who's fighting cancer a red shirt. And uh, Kevin had been training for this. This was a big deal. So we get off the line, and I get to the part that I would have quit before, and I see Kevin, and I see his red shirt, and I see the way in his life that he's persevering, not just on this run, but in his whole life. You know, this is so fascinating. I don't have time to unpack this, but Kevin would say, like, I don't believe my cancer came from God, um, but I wouldn't trade it because it drew me close to God and it drew me close to my wife. I can't explain that. There's a perseverance that he was experiencing in life, but even on the day, and of course, like, when I'm tired, but I see my brother who's in the middle of chemotherapy, I'm like, I'm not going to give up. Perseverance starts when you want to throw in the towel, but it's a keeping on going anyways. And any vision of Christianity without dynamics of perseverance at work in it is inconsistent and incompatible with the Christianity that is revealed in the New Testament. Any vision of Christianity that doesn't speak to the reality of an experienced perseverance is incompatible with the New Testament, which is the source material of the Christian faith. Listen to some of the language we hear scattered through the New Testament. In Galatians, Paul says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. James says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. 2 Thessalonians, never tire of doing what is good. 2 Corinthians, stand firm in Christ. You hear the language? Stand firm, endure, don't give up, persevere. Why is this showing up so much in the New Testament? Because in the first century, following Jesus required perseverance. For most or many of the first Christians, Following the way of Jesus meant losing jobs, rejected from family and friends, persecution, loss of homes and possession, being sent to prison, mocked in public, in some cases physically attacked, even killed. And we're not experiencing that today. We don't have that kind of persecution. 
Another thing happening in the first century that we can relate to a little bit more was the counterculturalness of Christianity. To follow the way of Jesus was so different than the way of culture. It felt like to just do like the Jesus thing, like forgiving your neighbor, was so against the rhythms and values of culture that it felt like you were just persevering to do the thing that was right in Jesus. And we get that a little bit. We get what it feels like to just follow the way of Jesus, whether it's around sexual ethic or forgiving the way you treat money, the way you use your words, or even posture yourself in a room. It's so fundamentally different than what's valued by culture that it feels like just to do the way of Jesus feels like perseverance. And so the writer of Hebrews, the preacher writer of Hebrews, says to the first Christians, don't give up. Don't give up. Persevere. And he uses the language of race. And the language of race, like a race marked out for us, he says, like run the race marked out for you. That's a compelling picture. Like that's, that's, that's a dynamic picture. Like just to, to think like life is so hard to get right, isn't it? Like that's a radical understatement. It's hard to get life right, especially the first time through it. Thanks, guys. It was cheesy. It's very, but like I just, it was a good moment we had together. And I'm glad that we could. We could enjoy that. It's hard to get it right. And so to have a race marked out for us, to know that God has a will for our life and a way we can follow through his teaching, but also through the leading of his spirit, that's really comforting. What's not so comforting is the word that the author of Hebrews used that we translate as race. And so you've got to sometimes do a little bit of work. You've got to follow the thread. And so the word that's translated here as race uh, in the original language, which would be Greek, is agon, which sounds a lot like agony, and that's because it means agony. It means struggle. He's like, run the struggle marked out for you. Run the agony marked out for you. Here's what people would have had in mind when they heard it. They would have been like referring to like the pentathlon. Do you know what the pentathlon? This is the kind of race that the writer of Hebrews is getting at. It's not like a nice saunter or jog. It's the pentathlon. Here's the pentathlon. It's long jump followed by javelin followed by discus, sounds fun so far, then a run, okay, I'm on the fence, and then you all fight. That's the pentathlon. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, like, you know what the race of faith is like? It's like discus, and then javelin, and then a run, and then fight. (laughs) It's so intense. Now, here's another important side note. It's not a race in the sense that it's about competition with others. It's fundamentally not what the metaphor is intended to do in this place. But it is a race in the sense that we're competing. It's not a race in the sense that we're competing against others, but it is a race in the sense that it requires discipline, vision, that it comes with a reward, and it also requires a price. The race of faith in Jesus requires perseverance. Now, I want to go back to the text in just a moment, and just sort of illustrate a few things that the text gives us as resources for perseverance. But I want to just take a few minutes, and I want to just illustrate a few areas of the Christian life that require perseverance. And there's a part of me that's hesitant to do this, because whenever you illustrate examples of where the Christian life might require perseverance, or any list, you leave things out. Like, as I was worshiping, I thought about uh, works of justice and mercy, And that's not in my notes, but I just thought so much, like, for those who are following the way of Jesus and taking that seriously, fighting for equality, like, that feels like perseverance. Especially when it feels like two steps forward, three steps back. Imagine those who are working for peace in Europe in this time to feel like, 
And so there's many things I just want to acknowledge that you might be facing as an area of perseverance that's connected to your faith in Jesus that I do not illustrate. So please understand that this is not comprehensive. Does that make sense? You guys are tracking with me? Let me give you a few examples, though. What about in, like, just abiding with Jesus, just walking with him? What an amazing invitation that in the midst of a busy world um, that demands all of your attention, that everyone's measuring each other, there's this invitation to just be alone with Jesus, to receive his love, to, to like, let his word saturate our mind, and to receive just, like, the affirmation of the living God to start each day. What a gift. Sounds amazing, right? So you set your alarm. You listen to your series on, like, the deeply formed life. You're like, I'm going to set my alarm. I'm going to get up a little early. And uh, what does it feel like to abide in Jesus in the early hours of the morning? I mean, sometimes it feels amazing, sipping coffee, all these things. Most mornings for me, it feels like, oh, this is the last thing I want to do right now is get up at all. And here's why I'm telling you that. Because I think sometimes we think, this is what we've been told culturally, is that for something to be right, it's got to feel effortless. But what if it feels like perseverance? What if actually, like, <laughs> what if, like, to abide in the Lord, all of those good things, doesn't feel like just sliding into it? It feels like perseverance. It feels like effort. Dallas Willard, uh, a philosopher, a Christian philosopher from the University of Southern California, used to say that Christianity is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. The gospel says you do not earn your relationship with God. It is a gift of love. But it's not opposed to effort. Okay, let's just keep moving. There's lots of examples. I'm moving quick in. What about persevering in loving your neighbor? Like, what does it feel like to follow the command of Jesus seriously to love your neighbor? When they have the same interests with you and you knock on their door, it turns out they like watching Survivor on Thursday nights as well. And they like love to cook and they bring over like, you know, great drinks and food every single time they come over. That's not persevering and loving your neighbor. That's getting lucky and having a good neighbor. Do you see what I'm saying? Persevering and loving your neighbor is like when there's not that click. At best, persevering, at best, it's overcoming awkwardness. At worst, it's overcoming hostility. And probably more realistic, it's in, your, in the, where you work, where you study. It's the people you're around in those places. Where it's like, I just, I'm just here to say, what does it feel like to love? It feels sometimes like perseverance. And the writer of Hebrews wants to say, don't give up. Don't give up. And, then, and, and, and they'll want you to know that there's resources in Christ to persevere in this life. I'll give a few more examples. What about persevering for unity in the church right now? Like, it's a really great thought to be, like, in the midst of a divided world, we're going to have a united church. Amen? What does that feel like? Here's what's happened culturally. We've weaponized every single opinion into an extreme political stance. So, everything is life or death. And everyone who disagrees is an idiot. That's the narrative. And in this room right now, there are differing views on masks, vaccines, and the political future for our country. What's it feel like to persevere in unity? It feels like sincerely loving someone who thinks differently about important matters. And eventually, we're not talking about masks, we're not talking about vaccines, we're talking about things that maybe are way more or way less important, I don't know. But this polarized moments we're in is ripping churches apart. They're ripping churches apart. 
And so I just want to invite you to persevere in unity, to extend yourself to those in your church, to extend yourself past your comfort zone, to ask yourself, if this can preserve unity, maybe it's not about me. What does it feel like? Because unity is one of those things that must feel warm. I don't know. It might feel like perseverance. Okay, there's other things. What about perseverance in the midst of temptation? I could talk about all these for a long time. In the midst of temptation, temptation is interesting to talk about because by its very nature, it's perseverance. Because temptation doesn't start until you want to do something. You know, so perseverance is right there with temptation. And the, the, the idea of temptation that I want you to think about is like when, when you know something is not consistent with the way of Jesus and the values you want to live your life by. You know, and then everything inside of you wants to do that. Perseverance is not following through. It's going in the other direction. And I know, and I just again, it's, it's similar to what we've been saying. It's just helpful to know what might it feel like to persevere in the midst of temptation. And it might be easy to talk about sexual temptation or, you know, financial temptation. But what about just like in a conversation around things like, it's tempting in this moment to use my words to control the narrative in this moment. It's tempting just to not lie, but to bend the truth, to put myself in a better light. What does it feel like to not choose that in that moment? No one would know. But my integrity before God says, I want to not do my own PR. And I want to be honest and authentic before the people I'm with. It takes perseverance to say in that moment, I'm not going to do that thing. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. But I know in my life there's been moments where just to say no to something felt like a fight. It felt like an agony. It felt like a struggle. And for those of you who are struggling right now, bless you. Don't give up. Keep on going. I guess there's lots of examples we could talk about. I'll give one more, and then we'll go back to the text and, and see a few things that it invites us to speak to. What about persevering in prayer and mission for the city that we're called to? You know that Slate Church exists for the sake of this city and the cities in which it has reach and the people are from. God's always wanted to do something in his people for the sake of the world. The calling of the church is to be a light in the midst of darkness, to be like salt pressed in to preserve and bring life to the city around it. And there's many ways we do that. One example is through prayer and through Christian witness. And when you've been praying for your loved ones, a son and daughter, a niece or nephew, or a neighbor or friend for years, you can find yourself throwing in the towel saying, I'm done. But what does it feel like to persevere in prayer? to persevere and witness, to say it seems like everything is going the opposite direction, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. So, in what area in your Christian life, or in your life, maybe you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus, what area of your life are you experiencing perseverance right now? The writer of Hebrews writes to the first Christians to say, don't give up, keep going. And he writes to encourage them, to protect them, and to give them the key to running the race well. He wants to encourage them, he wants to protect them, and he wants to give them the key to running the race well. He wants to encourage them. He uses this language of, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance. What's this cloud of witnesses? What is this? A cloud is just a, a metaphor or a term used to talk about like a crowd. 
So a lot of actual translations will just say crowd of witnesses. That's right. That makes sense. So a cloud is just a group of people. And who are the witnesses? If you flip the page one over, if you're in your Bible, or scroll up, if you're on your phone, you'll see in Hebrews chapter 11, he names all of these men and women who were followers of God in generations before, who ran the race of faith in their generation. Broken, imperfect people who ran the race of faith in their generation. And they are witnesses to it. What does a witness do? A witness testifies to its reality. So what the writer of Hebrews wants us to see is that we're part of a bigger picture. In fact, some of the names that they name are like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, generation, generation, generation. It's a picture of a baton being passed from one generation to the next. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, first, they're going to testify to the goodness of God in their generation. That they do not regret running the race of faith. That they came to the end of their lives, bruised and broken, having persevered and failed and persevered again. But they kept the faith. Broken, yes. Imperfect, yes. But they kept the faith in their generation. And they testify to the goodness of God. In addition to that testimony, they're also saying, and now you are up. And for any of you who are like me, is a little insecure about me being up. It's not just you. It's our whole generation of followers of Jesus around the world. You're up. You are up, and we can testify to the goodness of God in our generation, and we're passing the baton to you. My grandpa, when he was in his mid-20s, was part of a group of friends who planted a church in Vancouver called Cascades Bible Chapel. And it's a little church that's still there today. And when I told him I was planting a church in Vancouver, he was so delighted. And I call him all the time. He's never been able to come in person. My grandma's so unwell. But I'll call him sometimes and say, I was watching online. And he goes, I wish I could be there with you in person. But I feel like I am. I feel like you're doing the, I feel like we're doing this together. That's that like race of faith. And it helps me. It helps us right now. Not just my grandpa, but his parents ran the race of faith through world wars, through the Great Depression. You know, we're not the first generation to have tragedy. In many, in fact, one of the things that's a struggle for us is that we've had so much prosperity that it's hitting us. It's hitting us. We don't know how to cope with it. So it's helpful to go, okay, wow. This faith, we didn't invent this. This has been resourced for every generation around the world in human history. And it's hard for me to say this right now. It's really hard because I don't think we know of this pain. Some of you might. I don't know each of your story. But the, there's, there's good news and there's resources to persevere even for the followers of Jesus in Ukraine right now. And how do I know that? Not by my testimony but by the witness of those who have gone before, who say, you are up. We ran the race of faith in our generation. You're up. So that was meant to, that's meant to encourage us to get this cosmic perspective on what God is building in his church, that God in his thoughtful design put you in this church, in this city, in this time of history, says, you are up. So he says, he, says, he, he writes to encourage. He also writes to protect you from stumbling. And this is where he says, you know, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. He's saying the way we perceive sin in our life, we can't be casual about it. Because there's this reality in which it can sneak in. It can sneak into our lives and it can derail us from the thing that we're called to do. And there's lots to be said about sin. There's lots to be said about sin, but there's a temptation to just say sin is just the bad things that God doesn't want us to do. And I just think, I don't think you're thinking about this in a more a robust enough way. 
Because just this text just shines another light on the reality of sin's ability to derail us from the purposes of God in our life. Most people who stop running the race of faith or like punt or like uh, find themselves tripping up in their, uh, the thing that they're called to do, it's because sin creeped in really sneaky, so easily entangles. Much could be said about that, but we've got to keep moving. Here's the most important part. The key to running the race well. How do we persevere? The most important thing, the most important thing to running the race well, the reason why Christian perseverance is unique, it's about what we give our attention to. The writer of Hebrews is saying what you give your attention to matters. Where your eyes are fixed matters. So he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And later in the text he says, consider Jesus. This is language of attention and intentionally gazing on Jesus. When we look at ourselves, we don't find the resources to get back up. When we look at him, when we see him, we find the courage, the examples, and the grace to keep on going. It says the author and perfecter of our, our faith. One translation says, the one on whom our faith depends from the beginning to the very end. How good is it that God's not just interested in your salvation, but your whole Christian life? God gives us his Holy Spirit as a resource to navigate and endure life on earth that we can flourish even in the most difficult of circumstances. And so the challenge of life on planet Earth is fixing our eyes on Jesus, to realize we're not alone in this race, and to see him in the midst of this world. One of the most stunning things about this text is says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy led Jesus to the cross? It's twofold, the glory of his heavenly father and the reconciliation of you and I to himself. This is what is giving him joy, the glory of his father and you and I being reconciled to himself. It's love. And when you see the love on his face, it motivates you in a way. It's a power. It's a motivation that you would not find anywhere else. It means that when you stumble and you fall, and you look at, if you look inwards, you're like, well, I, I messed up again. I didn't persevere. I'm a failure. But that's, that's not the instruction. When you're stumbling, turn your eyes. And what do you see? The countenance of a face who loves you, who's for you, who redeems you, saves you, sets you on your path again. You have not stumbled such that you should not get up again. There's power and resource and grace in him. Let me read this text for you one more time. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Am I supposed to be done? I have 15 more minutes. No, no, no. Okay. I'm going to take three more minutes. And I'll take that, that keys player right now. And then, Brandon, in three and a half minutes, you take this mic and you shut this thing down because <laughs> I just get carried away. Um, 
at, our, at my home church. Um, I, I preach r- real long. And so <laughs> all the muscle memory is like, I just finished my introduction. This is usually, <laughs> usually in my context. But you guys have, uh, have a great mission in this place. And I know there's practical realities of using this space. And so I, I'm sensitive to that. I respect that. And I respect the authority I'm under in this place. But with the three minutes I have left, let me say one more thought. And I think this is the best picture I can give to you of Christian perseverance. In fact, I want to just submit this to you as a picture for following Jesus. And it's in this statement. um, There's a letting go that's not giving up. There's a letting go that's not giving up. Is it Dan? Is that your name? So I just met Dan. Dan's wearing a hat that says Wagner Hills on it. Dan's a beauty, by the way. And what's your wife called? Jenna? It's a pleasure to meet you. And uh, that was really actually quite touching for me to walk in and see Wagner Hills hat because in my notes it says Wagner Hills is how I want it to end. And you might not know what Wagner Hills is, but me and Dan do. Wagner Hills is a recovery farm near my house in Vancouver. It's about an hour away. And I like to go out there because there's men and women. There's a women's campus and a men's campus, maybe 30 at each. And there are men and women who have come out of addiction. And lots of it's alcohol addiction, some of it's drugs and other things. And uh, they go to this farm and they work and they receive counsel and community. And they go because they've come to the end of themselves. They've, the addiction is so strong and they've probably... They often tried so many different things that come because it's a pretty intense program. Like you're kind of giving up your keys, literally speaking. You're just in community for at least a year. And the question I wanted to ask you about those men and women who are going to Wagner, are they giving up when they go to Wagner? Of course not. But they are letting go. I can't do this on my own. Like I, I can't. It is like a throwing yourself on others. It says, I need help to do this, but I'm not giving up. There is a letting go that's not getting up, giving up. And for some of you, there's struggle in your life. There is a persevering in your life, and you're like, I can't do this anymore. And this is the Christian walk. It's throwing yourself on Jesus. It's saying, God, I do not have the strength. I don't have the strength. I need your grace, your mercy. I can't carry it. There is like a letting go where it's like, God, I can't carry my kids. I can't carry my family. The the bills, the stress of this world, I can't. I I can't. And so you throw yourself on Christ. Like all of your weight. But you say, God, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to give up trying to honor you in my life. Follow your way. Pursue your call in my life. There's a letting go that's not giving up. And I struggle to explain it. But for those who've tasted in Christ, you know it's real. I just want to invite us right now as we pray to let go as a statement of saying, God, I'm not giving up. So would you maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable? You could bow your head. Nothing magical about that. Just a posture of focus. God, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters right now for perseverance from on high. God, I want to pray that you would give them resources for heaven to persevere on earth. I pray for my brother or sister who this morning is thinking, okay, here we go again. 
Maybe there's something I've given up on. But this morning, I, I want to re-engage. I want to choose again to persevere in Christ. But God, I pray they would discover the joy, the delight of being strengthened by you, of being held together by you. God, this morning we throw ourselves on you, all of us, every one of us. God, we say we don't have what it takes. You're the one on whom our faith depends from the very beginning all the way to the end. I feel like there's some people here and you've been holding your faith like it counts on you. You've been carrying all the weight of it. It's too heavy for you to bear. You don't have to give up on your faith. You just don't have to carry it alone. There's a letting go that's not giving up. And I pray for each of my brothers and sisters so many different things that could be on our heart this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this moment you would come, that you would fill them with peace from on high. Even now, Holy Spirit, would you fill them with your peace? Each person listening online in person, fill them with your peace. Fill them with your love, God. God, I pray that we'd see the love in your eyes. That when we set our eyes on you, when we fix our eyes on you, we see your love and affection and your power and your strength. You're seated now in the place of authority. All power, all authority is in you. We have nothing to be afraid of. Help us see you clearly. Would you do that, Holy Spirit? Open the eyes of our heart to see Jesus clearly. And we just pray for power from on high. Come now, Holy Spirit. Fill this place. Fill our hearts. Even more of your love. Pour it out now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.